Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have a treat for you. We have a panel of experts to talk about buying and selling businesses from the buy side and from the sell side. And in particular, we're looking at what it all looks like in the current COVID market that we're in at the moment. So in order to talk about this, we have Zoran from Exclusive Business Sales and Paul Prouse from Business Buying Services. And in this episode, we look at what's happening with buyers, what's happening with sellers. We all provide our own perspectives on what we think it looks like at the moment, but also what our perspective of the outlook is for the next six months. We also dig into what you need to think about and what has changed if you're looking at selling a business in this current environment. Of course, we're right in the midst of COVID right now, and this has created many complexities in selling a business. We talk about how you deal with those complexities and what other commercial terms are that you can think about in dealing with some of the risk that sits both on the buy side and the sell side in selling a business right now. We look at the other things that have changed, we look at FERB approvals and pricing, ta- transparency and speed. And we also look at the potential opportunities that we think may be in the market right now and perhaps might be in the market um, in the coming years. And finally, we wrap it up with a bit of a discussion about the opportunities for growth for businesses by acquisition as opposed to just organic growth. Well, If you are interested in finding out what each of uh, us on the panel say from both a buyer's perspective, a seller's perspective, and of course, the neutral legal perspective, then buckle in because here we go. Zoran and Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the Deal Room podcast today. Hello, John. Pleasure. Looking forward to it. <laughs> me too, me too. Panel, panel isn't something that I do very often, but we've had a bit of a chat beforehand and I think this is going to be great. We've got some interesting different perspectives. I think it's nice to have a bit of different perspectives. I'll try and keep you two apart so it doesn't in, uh, end up in an all-in brawl, but, um, but, but I love the different perspectives of the buy side, the sell side, and of course, the legal perspective, which um, as we we all know is uh, one of the most important. No, okay, I'm sounding biased here. Okay, guys. So, <laughs> how about we kick in first? Maybe if um, uh, both of you can just give us a quick background, just um, just so we know who who you are and what you do. Zoran, take it away. Well, I'm principal of exclusive business sales. We got five offices. We operate anywhere except Western Australia. And our sweet spot is selling businesses one to three million dollar in value. We've got about uh, 25 people and 
that's all we do. We just sell businesses and do business valuations. We are not advisors, accountants. We don't prepare them to sell. We are transactionally based. Okay, brilliant. All right. So on the sell side, we have Zoran. Okay. And then on the buy side, um, Paul, maybe give us a bit um, of your background and who who you work with. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Joanna. I'm I'm really the opposite of what um, what Zoran's been talking about. For about 20 years, we've been buying businesses for clients, representing the buyer only. So I've got a partner in Sydney, Phil Toys, and I'm in Melbourne. And we set this up, I think, in 2001. Um, our clients basically range from about 500000 purchase price up to five mil. That's our sort of normal spot. The majority of my clients are people looking to have a change of life, a change of direction in life where they're individuals buying, where they can take their destiny into their own hands. Whereas about 20 to 30% of my clients are corporates who are looking to grow through an acquisition and so buy a synergistic type business. The figure up in Sydney is a bit different to mine. It's about 50-50, Phil seems to do between those two sectors. So that's what we do. And, and like Zoran, we don't do any legal or accounting work. We are representing the buyer to hold their hand, to help them with the value and, and negotiate the terms and conditions of a, of a suitable acquisition. Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. So um, I thought it'd be great today to have you both on the panel so that we can really look at um, a whole range of issues in relation to getting both a buy side and a sell side um, perspective, which I, I think makes for an interesting discussion, as I said earlier. So let's maybe kick it off with, um, at the moment, at the time of recording, um, we're right here in the throes of COVID-19, which is creating all sorts of differences in the usual business sale and acquisition environment. So maybe we kick it off with um, what you each think the outlook is for the future. And maybe, um, Paul, if we head to you first, what's your thoughts about um, the outlook from where we are now? Now. Sure, Joanna. What, what I found in the last month in particular is buyers that we have around have basically gone into hibernation. There's a free fall occurring in the market at the moment. No one sort of knows where all this is going to land. We're, we're in uncharted territory for all of us. And I think uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There will be some great opportunities. It's a question of when they will start to arise. There'll be a lot of tie kickers around at the moment, I think, and, and people are basically going to sit on their hands. They'll have trouble getting funding from banks. They'll rely more on vendors to help them with the transaction, with the settlements. And I just feel that's that's sort of where it is at the moment. It's a really interesting time that, that I have, I've, none of us have seen this before, but the business is going really well. Up until about three months ago, the, 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 the whole year was tracking beautifully. Yeah, um, and I think Zoran will probably confirm that 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 everything was was moving along absolutely on budget, if not ahead. And then it's just like hitting the wall. You know, mm. got to the sort of end of March, and everyone sort of shook their head and said, "What's going on here?" Mm. And and I, that's what I found with down here. And I know Phil says the same up in Sydney. Yeah, and I think the reality is, you know, obviously different industries have been hit in different ways. Certainly what we've seen, and we have a a really broad cross-section of industries that we work in. And so some of the industries that we work in are going really well and some of them are are not. But we've actually seen uh, the exact same, which is there was really buoyant market. You know, February and March were were really buoyant um, and busy. Yeah, but um, and then, you know, COVID came. And in fact, for us, it took a little while 
to peter down because we had a lot of transactions that were still running and buyers were still prepared to continue but uh and then you know a few weeks ago the the breaks went on and so we are seeing a lot of uncertainty in the market across industry sectors having said that though we're still had two matters exchanged this week. We've got new buyers coming in. So still stuff happening, but just a lot slower. And as I say, from what I've seen, that is um, that is across industries. But Zoran, I think you're seeing a few different things. Is that right? Yeah. Look, it's like I'm operating in a different market from you two. <laughs> 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 well, we, we, we got he always like, talks it up. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it's just in my yeah. nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just before this meeting, we had two meetings. I was looking at little people on Zoom, and uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a both of the meetings were very serious, very serious businesses, very serious buyers. But all these businesses were, came to market before the actual pandemic. So we got the buyers, and and I agree with Paul. These people they were looking to change their lifestyle. They wanted to change the direction in life. They can actually pull back, but everyone else is still on the market. Acquisitions are still happening. Buyers are looking for the businesses and we've got a lot of people looking to buy employment. But don't you think timeframes, are you saying that timeframes haven't pushed out in terms of how long deals are taking at, they, at the they, moment? They have. They have because obvious reasons. I mean, like the banks don't know how to work. Uh, mm. They're finding a new environment challenging. We, we talked to that about yesterday that anybody from overseas now needs to be approved. Yeah, the FERB stuff. Right. So, so these are all adding up. And, yeah, mm. people are more cautious. Uh, what, what I'm seeing as a problem on the market is that new businesses are not coming on the market. And I don't think there's a reason for it. It's just that people think it's not a good time. I'm not going to put it. I guarantee, look, we publish our data all the time. We, the, the inquiries are actually above February number of inquiries when we're taking your businesses to the market. And, you know, people say, look, you know, there's a lot of people that are looking for the bargains. Well, you're not going to find a bargain. If somebody's got a strong business, you're not going to get a bargain. So, you know, those dreamers de- definitely. Not did. yet, Zora, maybe not yet. Well, yeah, you, it's somewhere, my prediction is July, August, September, yeah. the stress sale is going to ha- be happening. Yeah. At the moment, good business definitely will find a buyer, definitely. Mm. Can't find the businesses because they're not going on the market. Interesting, really interesting. Yeah, and I think you know we we're sitting here recording this now in, in the beginning of May. I think obviously late March, early April was a period of time of massive change and massive uncertainty about what was going to happen. And it made sense that there was a large fall off in interest in progressing early stage investigations into into the acquisition. And I think businesses. And, and all of us had to deal with the crisis, so you didn't have to time to do any long-term planning. Yeah, yeah. If you were thinking of selling, we stopped thinking of selling. You started addressing your cash flow and immediate yeah. issues, and I think that's going to start. It's not going to be immediate, like I said, in, in, on some other places before. I'm giving it at least. Uh, six to eight weeks before he starts recovering from seller's point of view. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk about, and of course, you know, this is a little bit of crystal ball gazing here. None of us really know for sure, right? All we can deal with is what we're seeing at the moment. And we're all seeing slightly different things, which I, I think is really interesting. And I wonder if it's an industry 
difference as well? Are there certain types of industries, Zoran, that you're seeing particular interest in? Look, <laughs> obviously, like anybody that's positively affected with crisis does create a more interest. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, people don't want to pay too much extra for it because they don't know how long that interest is going to go for. Mm. Uh, so anybody in commercial cleaning, any safety equipment, any medical uh, supplies, it's obvious that it's a little bit stronger interest than, than normal. Interesting, we, we took a, a mortgage trial book to the market and we had over 70 people in about 30 days and valuations are coming to about two times trial income, which was what was happening before we had a, a Royal Commission in the banking. So after all, commission dropped off. And now in this crisis, the prices are back in. Like mm. it's very unusual. It's all over the place. Mm. Just on, I had an interesting conversation this morning with an old client and who had bought a commercial cleaning company eight years ago. And I, and I said to him, Bill, you must be you know, laughing your head off. And I said, what's happened? He said, oh, it's gone up about three times in turnover in that time. I said, well, fantastic. Uh, he said, yeah, what's happened though in recent times is commercial cleaning company, the number of cleans has increased dramatically. But he gave me an example of one of his big clients where he used to have, up until recently, spent 11 hours a day of cleaning at the business uh, with various people. He's now, they used to have sort of like 58 people there. They've now got eight. So the amount of cleaning has dropped off unbelievably because they might be, instead of cleaning sort of once a day, they're now cleaning you know, three times a day, but it's in such a small area because they've closed off the rest of the building. Right. <laughs> so this was one of his best clients, but the, but the, the, it, was, it was amazing how he said how the number of cleans had gone up so much, but because of such a smaller area, because they've laid off everyone, the, the actual dollar terms has gone backwards. Wow. Also, like anybody that's uh, been servicing clubs and pubs industries, yes. they- Obvious reasons that it's a big effect on them as well. Yep. Yeah. So it's very segmented, Joanna, as to who's booming and who's busting in this market. Yeah. But look, I really think it's not it's not a concern. It's it's a short term issue. As soon as the when you start reopening, those businesses going to pick up. That's why I'm saying, like, is it going to be slow recovery, long recovery? Well, certain things going to recover very quickly. I know my local pubs as he opens up the door. It's going to be doing roaring trade. I'll be there first. They only rely on you turning up each night. <laughs> but, but even with that, though, it's going to become probably uneconomic for a lot of those sort of places, Zoran, to, to have, instead of having 100 people in the venue, to have 25 people in the venue. Yeah. Well, it may not be possible for it to work. And the problem is we don't know how long that will go on for, I guess. That's the issue and that is what's causing part of the concern. But, you know, from what I'm seeing, you know, I'm talking to a lot of buyers out there who are saying, you know, we're gearing ourselves up, we're really interested, we're not ready right now. So in that they just still want to see a little bit more stability come in, but they're gearing themselves up. And I think that's really sensible in not necessarily, I'm not commenting on the sensibleness of waiting I'm just talking about this commenting on the sensibleness of gearing themselves up now because I think once activity starts I think we're going to see a lot of activity come on the market really quickly what do both of you think about that well we like I told you I still think we got activity uh, when the businesses start coming on the market uh, but buyers are definitely there but but I think that's going to be 
and I'll, I don't know what what Paul thinks. I think he's going to share my view on this. There's going to be some deferred payments, some secu- not not in yep. order to finance the deal, but in order to secure the deal and secure the income. So they'll pay for the because if you're affected, you don't know how quickly that's going to pick up. So I can only see that the buyer's going to say, "Look, we 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 understand where you're coming from, but it's not there yet. We don't want to be the ones that take all the risk." So let's pay portion of the uh, for the portion of the business now and predetermine formula how we're going to calculate it in what time we're going to recalculate that. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I guess what we're talking about right now is if you're looking to sell a business now, you're looking to buy a business. What's changed? What are the deal terms that are likely to really have changed and be at play right now? And Paul, sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's it. No, no, I was just I was just going to say, Joan, on that on that, the vendors are now going to have to sort of underwrite the performance of the business more than they used to with, with earnouts and and what because what the value of a business is is really just a multiple reflecting the reliability of the recurring income with a change of owner. Yeah. What's going to happen now? It doesn't matter how good the business has been historically. None of us are knowing what's going to happen in post-September this year mm. when the all the assistances get finished. That's what they say, but I don't know whether they will or not because they might just drip it out a bit longer. But that's assuming it, it happens as the way they say it's going to happen. People are then going to have to decide, do we still continue working the way we used to work? Um, do, we need, do we need this many people here? You know, maybe we've got by with... Fewer staff, fewer smaller amount of space. Are we better? Are we more profitable by just sort of pulling our heads in a little bit? And you know, are our suppliers and our and our customers going to continue to buy the way they used to buy, or is that multiple effect going to go right through the industry and everything's going to come back a little bit? There might be a whole new set of rules that apply after September. And so, what vendors I believe vendors will do, and my clients will be asking vendors when they buy a business that. They want some certainty that they're projecting a certain level of income, that that is going to continue uh, in the next one, two, three years. And, you know, we'll we'll be looking to put in clauses, these earn-out sort of clauses, which Zoran will hate, I'm sure, but just to... to, I'm just waiting for you to finish to tell you all about it. Just to protect (laughs) what they are purporting is going to happen. Yeah. See, see, Jonah, from seller's point of view, and, and look, I agree with Paul that some sort of mechanism has to... We will we, apply more and more for selling of the businesses to secure the future performance. Problem with the earnouts is from the seller's point of view that they said, well, okay, Paul's buyer bought a business now. I've got no control. Yes. What if the business is not run as good as when, yes. when I was running it? Why should I pay for it? Yes. So what do you propose, Paul, in those cases? How, how can you overcome that, that issue? You keep the person on a retainer. To have to have some sort of control, as in watching what's going on, and and maybe they go on a two-year consultancy agreement where they get some sort of fee to make sure the business fundamentally stays on track the way it was being run. And one thing I want to throw in here, like these, are, this is such a good discussion because these are real issues that are going on right now, and and we've got matters right now that are sitting. You know, effectively, they were going to be um, a full purchase price 
upfront, but now they've changed to deferred payment, retentions, um, earnouts even. So we're utilising all of these strategies right now. But you're absolutely right, this question about, well, if we're talking about an earnout as opposed to um, just simply a deferred payment, or even if we're talking about a retention, what what happens in terms of control. And and I think you're absolutely right, Paul, that the involvement can assist the vendor. But from a buyer's perspective, and even from a vendor's perspective, I, I think there is quite often a lot of tension in the business between vendor and buyer once they actually start in the business together. Certainly, this is something that I've seen on multiple occasions because uh, because quite often they have different ways of approaching how they'll run the business. Do either of you have a comment on that? But that's a new reality. That's correct. But you just got to find a way to work through it. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. what Paul said, you can stay on consultancy for two years. The issue with that from the seller's point of view is that issue of two-year attention or two-year consultancies that whatever caused seller to, to want to sell business, it's still there and he wants to exit. Two years is a long time if you're retiring, if you want to relocate, if you if something happened in your life. But you need to find a way that you can work it out because reality is if the future is uncertain, no one's just going to hand out the money. Yeah. So buyers and sellers will have to work closer. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, to see that, and we at least man, try to manage the deals that way, that you try not to not to negotiate to you're trying to negotiate in a friendly manner because you almost know that they'll have to stay together yeah. past the, past the yeah. exchange. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Really important for, for for buy and seller now more than anything else. Yeah. F- from both sides to be very transparent and to work together to make the deal work. Yeah. 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 The, the, the answer to that question, sorry Joanna, the answer to I, I think the response to that issue that you're talking about, Zoran, is well, then has to be reflected in the price you pay for it. So if you want to have a two-year earnout, you might pay three times an EBIT figure, say. But if you then want a one-year earnout, well, you might only pay two. You know, because that that reduces the certainty. Because in this market that we're now going into, I don't know how a, a vendor can say there is a reliability recurring profit. Maybe before Christmas last year, we would have been able to say that because we knew historically what the figures were and all that sort of stuff. But this is game-changing stuff, and I don't think anyone can do it. And if they're not prepared to give you that guarantee that the market is where it is, they've got to then reflect that in reducing the price, which is reducing the multiple, in my opinion. Well, uh, I also think from the seller's point of view, uh, buyers, they really want to full guarantee of the future may not going to buy the business over the next 12 to two years just because a lot of vendors will say, well, if I'm taking most of the risk, may as well take most of the profit and keep the business. Mm. But this discussion is what actually is happening out there on the market. Yes. It's, yes. You yeah. know, like we need to work with each other, find a way. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I guess out of this comes, you know, the importance of, you know, the deal team working together, focused on finding a way to get through some of these issues and find, you know, both the commercial and, and also some of it is the mechanics that sit within the earnout, so the, the legal elements together to make sure it works for, for both parties so that they get the deal across the line. John, I want, I want to give not just you a good recommendation, but to all good lawyers, look, it's really important to have a good legal team and good, good accountants on the side. 
because both parties are taking risk. And if the lawyers are not commercial about it, they're just going to bury the deal. It's not going to go through. Yeah. Both parties need to understand that in, in business in general, you're taking a risk. But in this environment, you have to accept high level of risk if you want to sell or buy the business either way. Yeah. And and that comes back to, I guess, also the approach of the deal team and the advisors comes back to exactly your point earlier, which was now more than ever, it's important that um, that the relationship between the buyer and the vendor is good and solid if they're going to be, you know, there's a high likelihood moving forward for, for a while that that many buyers and sellers will have to have an ongoing relationship together for a while. So that's why you need to make sure that your deal team, your advisors are, you know, not tearing each other apart because I think that's something that I, you know, have seen from afar happen to um, happen to deals but before they've come to us that have created real issues. Yeah. Lauren, can you recommend any solicitor? <laughs> I'm not trying to make this a self-serving discussion. No, um, no. But I guess it's turning to one. Just, <laughs> and we'll cut that out. <laughs> Maybe we'll leave it in. I like it. I like it. No, no, but the, but the point is, I guess, um, a deal team's working. It, it is. And from, from due diligence point of view, from documenting the legal, well, documenting the deal arrangement, everybody has to be way more commercial than... Yeah. There, there, was a, there was a room for hard bargain in the past. If you want a good deal now, if you buy or the seller, you, you, you really need to, to, to go for the fair deal, not, yeah. the, not yeah. the hard bargain, because you may gonna get a good deal in the price, but you're gonna get no support from the seller. Or you may gonna yeah. get a really, really good price, but you're gonna get a much longer terms and you're gonna take on a lot of risk with it as a seller. Yeah. yeah, and and so this, you know, this podcast goes out to a lot of accountants as well. So part of what I'm talking about here about the deal team in, involves accountants. It's not just you, you know the lawyers and the other components of the team. It's also the accountants, and you know, quite often there'll be financiers involved. We need everyone here to be part of that, seeing it all as a team working together to get to the ultimate outcomes. Because highly conservative approaches from any of these areas, you know, can I. I think will trip us up moving forward in terms of because it's an uncertain area that we're in. Correct. A lot of vendors and the buyers are turning to their accountants and are asking for the advice wrong way. So they won't say they won't make a commercial decision and say, "Look, what do you think? Are these books accurate? And am I buying what I'm really buying?" But they're actually turning around to accountants and saying, "Do you think this is a good price, or should I buy this?" Yes. Business? Yes. And push back. Rightfully so. I mean, it's not for them to make a decision. You need to make as a seller or buyer, you need to make a uh, buying decision. Use your accountants for, for due diligence, for financial part of, of the business. Don't don't use them to make decision for you because, look, it's much safer for them to make a no decision than yes decision, yeah. and they always push yeah. towards a no decision, and that spooks the uh, buyers and the sellers away. Yeah. Yeah, as, as we've, we've, bought, we've bought hundreds of businesses over the 20 years uh, Joanna, and I think if you, we really analysed it, you could probably find a good excuse not to buy every one of those businesses. Yeah. The idea is, like Zoran's saying, you've got to find a reason why you buy them, and there have been so many successful businesses that uh, there would have been on the surface or in the textbook a reason why you shouldn't have bought that business. But someone's had the nous and the, the initiative and the guts to go ahead and buy it, and they've been very successful. 
That's yeah. why the return on, on that investment is much higher than when you put the money money in the yeah. you know long term yeah. bond or short term bond. Mm. So so but but that's re- really true. Every business you can find a reason why not to buy. Yeah, mm. every single one. Mm. And I guess, you know, it's then just about recognising the risk, understanding your tolerance and then finding ways to minimise it as much as possible and, and come to a yeah. fair way that will work in terms of sharing of risk as we've talked about in terms of looking at earnouts or retentions or uh, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're going to have distressed sales that I think will be hitting the market, you know, probably as uh, we see the stimulus coming out of the business economy. Do either of you have any comments on on what that might look like um, from each of your perspectives? Well, we, we operate with quite a few uh, liquidators and external administrators and sell their assets as a going concern. So buyers need to know one thing about this. Uh, if you want to buy distressed business, you have to move fast. Yeah. Because whatever made it distress, it may gonna make it non-existent or the, uh, in a very short period of time. So you don't have a luxury of uh, you know weekends to think about and another weekend to think about and doing a slow due diligence and having another three four weeks uh, for your lawyer to go through the account uh, through the accounts. You really have to move fast. If the business is distressed, speed is of the essence. So if you do it fast, you can pick up some good deals. Longer you t- you take, more deal diminishes or mm. m- more the value of the of the business diminishes, yeah. which is not necessarily a good thing. Even if you buy less, well, you bought, bought a lesser asset. So with the stress deals, you you have to move really quickly from the uh, from buyer's point of view. From seller's point of view, what they often do, they actually don't want to disclose that they're in distress, so they trying to act like business as usual. And that makes a seller to move, a buyer to move much slower. Yeah. And all of a sudden, problem becomes even bigger. Uh, three, four, five weeks, two months down the track. So mm. disclosure from seller's point of view is a must. Open up a book, tell them exactly what it is. The reason why the seller doesn't want to do that because they think they're going to use that in their advantage, but they won't. Because what you're going to do by being honest and honest and telling people that you're in distress, you're going to attract more interested parties. And that uh, uh, competition amongst themselves yeah. may want to help you improve the price or value that you get on the end. Yeah, as opposed to creating a situation where you get to a deal, but the deal falls over because all of this comes out in the wash yeah. eventually. Correct. That, that's another problem. And that just because wastes. You think you're buying something time. else. Paul, what's your opinion from... Uh, yeah, no, I think the uh, um, with the distressed business, and um, Jaren, you'll probably concur with this, is the, the, the golden rule with distressed businesses is you only buy the assets, you don't buy the company. Yeah, I think I think that just opens up Pandora's box with when you try to buy a company. And normally, it's the case you only buy the assets of businesses anyway. I think by far the majority of transactions take place like that. But um, you know, and there may be a discussion for another day. But but buying the company of a distressed business is fraught with danger. I do have to say there are ways that you can wash that through. So um, yeah. we, we actually deal with quite a high proportion of um, share sale here. So so obviously we see both. Yeah, absolutely. I hear what you're saying in terms of buying the assets rather than taking on the liabilities. But, but there can be ways, I, I guess just as a pointer, there can be ways that you can in many instances do that um, and still protect yourself with a restructure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But sometimes there's also an advantage in looking through and getting some idea because sometimes there can be some advantages 
of picking up even distressed businesses that might retain, you know, some sort of tax advantages in there. So, you know, it just depends. Well, often when people are in distress, or well, businesses in distressed state, the owners, what makes business distress is a debt, like some money that you own. And often they just want to really repay that. Just, well, I'm in a situation that I can't make any profit out of this, but if I can go away with cleaning all the uh, uh, all, all the debts and all the creditors, I'll be sweet. So it could be a way to actually finance the business. So return on equity could be good. Maybe you don't have to have a cash, but just making the arrangement with those creditors could actually get you into the business. Yep. And that arrangement could be very far favorable to buyer because the creditors sometimes don't have a don't have way out of it. They're going to lose everything. So if done smartly, buyer can really benefit from buying the stressed business. Seller can clear that, that and the creditors can get paid. Mm. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm hearing, interesting, I had an, a, a discussion earlier this morning with a potential buyer, a buyer I've worked in, with in multiple acquisitions before who's in the medical and dental space. And uh, he said last week he was approached by three businesses in the industry just handing him who wanted to hand him the keys. <laughs> And walk away. So there's some interesting things that are already starting to happen in the market. Well, just, just want to give a look. Word of warning there. Sometimes distressed businesses are for reason in distress. Of course. So just because something yeah, yeah. doesn't mean it's value. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is, you know, excellent point, Zoran, because people who were perhaps not highly experienced in acquisitions might think, well, there's a massive opportunity. But the client I was speaking to knew enough to say, well, they're not the ones that I want, you know, yeah. because I know to walk away, you yeah. know, but it's a risk. But also if something yeah. is in distress, doesn't mean it doesn't have a value. Sure. Yeah. So the, 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 the answer is to that, you know, do your proper due diligence. The only thing you have to do it quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's not for the faint heart. You've got to be able. To, you've got to be ready to move quickly, and you've got to be experienced. I believe if you're going to buy a distressed business. Yeah. What, what I what I saw in GFC that most of the deals that we've done for distressed businesses were other businesses buying those businesses because yeah. they've got something to offset against. They Absolutely. Got they can support them. Like Just a bolt on. Yeah, yeah, as a bolt-on, yes. Mm. And so let's just quickly flesh out then. Um, We we talked about the importance of buyers being ready to go um, and ready to act quickly. Uh, And also I I think this applies also to um, sellers of businesses. You know, they need to recognise if they're thinking of selling their business, there can be a period of time, you know, there is such a thing as leaving it too late um, if the business you know, in a distress sale or at any point. So, but what does it mean for a buyer to be ready? What are some of the tips that you would give um, buyers, both of you, to make sure they're lined up and ready to go, to be able to move quickly when the opportunities come their way? I think they've got to try and get a more focused brief on what they're trying to achieve and, and, and fine-tune that as much as possible. Know how much they want to invest, know geographically where they want to be and know what they don't want to do. And, and obviously have access to funds. And the funds these days may either come from their increasing the mortgage on their real estate, banks to a let some degree, and obviously the vendors to some degree. So it might be a cocktail of those sort of three things that, that put it together. But focusing more on industries that you know a little bit about so you can actually move quickly and you've got some interest in and you can see the upside. But And the other, those other three things, geographically, is a really big one, a practical side of things where it's just too hard to drive 
you know, an hour and a half to work every day. You know, you'll end up wrapping yourself around a pole somewhere. And it's just extraordinary how people sort of don't over or do overlook that um, and, until they come to the harsh reality, oh, I'm going to get out of bed on Monday morning and I've got to drive all the way to Geelong and, and back again that night in the traffic on the Westgate Bridge and and they think it's true and it's a bloody nightmare. It's all right. You guys in Sydney have got such good traffic, it doesn't matter. It's a disaster. <laughs> and, um, and it's just that's a practical thing. So they've got the, the more they can focus on what they actually want to achieve when something's presented that sort of ticks those boxes, they are then in a position to move and be ready. Yeah. From Seller's point, uh, I'd say uh, I agree with everything that Paul said. I would just start be explain this to to seller at the beginning. I'm cashed up. I can move quickly. It is a business that I'm looking for, and you'll find that the seller will always deal much rather with somebody that is more confident it's going to complete than somebody that he may be going to get something more. Yeah. But, but there's a good chance that he's not going to get anything. Mm. They'll favorably look for somebody who's prepared and ready to move quickly because if you're losing money, uh, as the time goes by, you, you lose more and more. So you may going to get a better price, but you may going to lose more money before you get that better price. So your net position is actually worse off. Yeah, yep. and, and they've got a little, I've got a little um, what I call a suitability test I, I give all my clients and every time I present a business to them, I ask them to fill it out themselves and there's no right or wrong answer to it, but I, there's five five areas and I get them to rate from naught to five each of the five. So you can get obviously 25 points or, or zero, but until they score something like 15 to 18 on their own assessment and it doesn't take anything to do with the value of the business, so we put that aside, this is purely to work out whether it's suitable for them or not. Mm. And so the little litmus test we use straight away is fill out your questionnaire, what's your score, and if they come back and say it's 12, well, I don't even bother wasting any more time on that file with that client. Mm. But if they come back and say it's 18, well, I say, hang on, fella, we've got to look at this closely. Like this is, you're never going to get a perfect business. No one's ever scored 25. But you know, when you score something around that 20 mark, it's really eminently suitable for you to buy and assuming we can get it for the right value. Yeah. But it's got to be suitable first. You know, a business is just another form of investment providing a lifestyle. So you've got to be able to get out of bed on Monday and be happy going and doing what you are buying. Mm. You know, meet those clients, go to that location, see that sort of those sort of staff, whatever. And then obviously you've got to get a return on the investment you're putting in. So there's two parts of the equation when you're looking at buying a business. And first one actually, the suitability is probably the most important part. Yeah. And it's about understanding the business, right? And of course, because I come from the legal perspective, I'd say, you know, understand the risk that's sitting in the business as well. But it's just that general understanding of the business together with what you're actually looking for. And in fact, we have seen over time quite a few buyers then go on to sell, you know, within a few years of acquisition. And, you know, and and that always troubles me because quite often, sometimes it's more of a flip and they've been able to add a lot of value and get a lot out of it. So so that's a positive story. But most often it's because they haven't fully understood what it was that they wanted out of the business, number one. And number two, they haven't fully understood the business, mostly from how it would feel like to be in there and be in the industry and running it. So I think a really good point. I I want to give a Paul and Phil from Business Bank Services plug here because we do deal and they buy businesses of us now and then. 
And uh, often when I'm sending them a deal, they'll look at it and very quickly they're going to say, it's not for my buyer, see you later. And because the, the brief is really good and they know exactly what's happening, so they're not losing much time. So it really having a good advisor, and, and a lot of buyers go in without the advisors. They do a lot of work themselves without them yeah. helping them. And yeah. they don't really know. They, they, it's not even crystallized in their head what they really want to buy. Yeah. So, look, it's our job. Uh, to me, it's not a waste of time. Each time I talk to them, I educate them a little bit more. And that's the process that we're going to go through. But I'm just afraid sometimes buyers do miss out on good deals. And yeah. sometimes they, they have a good deal. They don't recognize yeah. it. And yeah. sometimes they just don't go through the whole process and don't do the, the best thing for themselves because they didn't have good advice about uh, that emotional component before they go on the market. Lawyers going to look at the contract. Accountants going to look at the books. But no one's helping you with this emotional part of the of the yeah. journey. And they need to be really clear. You mentioned it a minute ago, Joanna. The purpose of what? why they're buying it. Are they buying a job? Are they buying to grow their existing business? Are they buying it for capital growth identify right from the start what you're actually trying to achieve before you jump into it Mm, yeah i think you're absolutely right and you know that that sounds obvious but i think it's a step that's missed so many times it's absolutely just you know that sort of foresight of what what does success look like and why is really critical so before we wrap up i guess i just want to touch on a few things quickly one of them is we've given a bit of an overview of what's changed in the market how about we make sure we've covered it all so one of the things we talked about was right at the moment, FERB approval thresholds have changed. So if there's foreign buyers who are looking at buying in, most likely they'll be caught up in a much more lengthier process and requirement to go through FERB approval. So that's one thing I think certainly that it has changed recently that's important for both buyers and sellers to understand. What else are you guys seeing that, that has changed? Well, from finance point of view, I'm I'm really getting a mixed messages. We, we we did have a deals when the bank said yes, 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 and then no last minute. And we had the deals that went through without too much dramas. Mm. So I, I think that the different uh, organizations, the banking organizations, got a different appetite for risk, especially for buying a businesses. So I think the money is out there. You just can't rely on the bank that you always dealt with that's going to go through. So I think you really got to do due diligence on your finances before you start purchasing yep. going to look at a business that's yeah the absolutely i think you're 100 percent correct yep i agree with that one and I, I just think it's so early joanna to call what's going to happen in this period coming up we haven't got to it we're in absolute transition as we speak there's not a lot of activity going on but the washout after august there'll be a whole different approach to to, mm. to everything i think transaction is going to take longer which you won't be happy about Zoran, but I and the transparency of information, um, transparency of information is going to become more important, you know, and, and vendors are going to become more involved in the ongoing. I, I believe that's this is my well, opinion. Well, definitely, because of the perceived risk, buyers going to be more cautious, so the transaction is going to get longer. What the vendors can do is let's make sure that we got everything ready. All yeah. the information needs to be up to date and very, very quickly available. So give it to them, all right? So yeah. look, it doesn't matter how big business is, two weeks every due diligence can be complete. What slows down the due diligence, it's a flow of information. So if yeah. you've got an information, yes. 
it's done very quickly. And, yes. and in the past, we had a lot of vendors taking this lightly. I think really they need to prepare, have everything ready. You have to have a, your documents, you know, just put them in one file, very simple, give them to the buyer and say, knock yourself out. You're going to proceed or not. Yeah. yeah. And transparency, I think, as you talked about before, Zoran, I think that yep. that's a good point. But, you know, be prepared to be transparent, even when it might feel uncomfortable. And again, I'm, I'm not giving John or any other lawyers plug out there, but you really have to have a good lawyer on, on commercial lawyer. You know, sometimes your lawyer that's been serving you very well for the last 25 years when you were buying properties and you're doing your wills and so, so forth, may not going to be the best person for the job. Same with the accountant. Find somebody confident and experienced in, in transactions to help you through the process when you're buying and when you sell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to agree too strongly because otherwise it sounds very self-serving, but I totally agree with you, Zoran. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, one of the best things you've said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, I love it. I guess. <laughs> um, okay. So, and obviously um, from your perspective, Zoran, you're seeing an uptick in buyer um, inquiry at the moment. How ready are those buyers to, actually do a deal look we had a mortgage book in distress in distress mm. and out of 70 odd inquiries i think there were very quick coming offers and it was over 15 offers and look these were there was about three or four or five they were really opportunistic the rest were really solid fair offers so if that's something to go by, look, people are ready to purchase the business. Although, you know, a mortgage book is, is I, I guess, in one sense, a little bit different to a normal uh, type of business anyway in that you're buying this, you, you know, the, this. Uh, well, I, I, can, I can tell you the deal this morning that we talked about, they actually started saying, look, we are ready to purchase. The money is in the bank. We want to go through. So, so I think people are ready. I think people yeah. are ready. I'm not sure. How ready are the people that, you know, because we see this segment of the market growing, people that are looking to buy employment or secure their employment going through up to three, four hundred thousand $400,000 in profits. I'm not sure how ready they are, you know, because I don't know if they understand what needs to happen in order for you to purchase the business and how easy or how hard it is to buy the business. But look, if you're a seller and you've got a buyer that's a good buyer, you'll work with them for this to happen. All right. Mm. So, so, so these buyers are really, really good buyers for people, for people that are not in distress. Mm. Uh, in distress. And look, we talk a lot about distressed selling uh, businesses. We're not seeing that yet. Stuff to, that's mm. on the market now, at least once we... Too early for that. Yeah. Uh, are good, strong businesses. May going to come later, you know, when, when we start coming on the end. But at the moment, there, there's no distressed sales. There are almost distressed buyers that are coming in because the guys, they're thinking they're going to lose a job or they lost a job. And I'm not sure how ready they are. But we'll work, you know, you, you help them out through the process. I just wonder, I, I do wonder, and then, you know, once again, this is crystal ball gazing, but, you know, running a business takes a lot of effort. And I think at the moment, you know, the government stimulus measures have given a bit of breathing space to businesses, but I just wonder how many businesses, and it's not even necessarily distressed businesses, but get to the end of this stimulus and, you know, and there's this need to rebuild again. How many business owners just don't necessarily have the energy and emotion for that? I just wonder, good, you know. Good point. 
Absolutely true. There'll be a lot of them, Joanna. They, they, the baby boomers who have all got a six yeah. in front of their name, who are the majority of owners of businesses, they're going to say, well, we've been kicked in the guts and lost 30% of our value or our turnover yeah. or whatever. Can I be bothered working for another two or three or four years to get it back to that level? Mm. I don't know. That's a, yeah. This is this is the September, October, November type of discussion that we'll be having. Yeah. yeah. And that, but that's why I think, you know, I think that there is a really strong opportunity that's coming up yeah. for growth by acquisition for businesses yeah, yes. that, um, you know, I, I personally think this is coming into a real period of opportunity. And even for businesses who haven't thought about that before, who focus more on organic growth, you know, maybe now's really a time for a strong movement in acquisition for growth of a business. Yeah, especially if you're in position to do so, if you still got a strong business, business that's got yeah. so so you don't have a your internal issues to deal with. It, it could be a way to to open up a new markets to to extend business. That, look, there's always not just now, but that that opportunities is always there. Yeah, uh, yeah. just what you said, uh, Paul, earlier, or you, John, as well. Like when you're, you know, you you just had enough and and you want to move on. It's a good time to actually change your hands of business, get some new blood into it, yes. and they can take it to the next level because yes. you yeah. kind of run out of idea and a bit bored. I mean, like it's expected to not, no one, no one has a same career all their life when they're working in any job. So why would you expect the business owner to stay in the business enthusiastic for 40, 50, 60 years? It's impossible. You know? Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, that that as well is a point that business owners should be thinking about. If they are feeling that energy drain, I think selling, you know, selling before, there's a story, there's a reason why revenue may have dropped in this period of time. But if you are battling it out for the next couple of years and you've not been able to pick up that revenue, you're not going to be able to get that value because you've lost that story. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I just, you know, I think uh, it's yeah, something yeah. business owners should think seriously about if they're having an... Look, that, that, that's one possible scenario when this opens up that people really aggressively going to start attacking the market. And if you're not a... Uh, don't have a business of aggressive nature. You may gonna be, you may gonna fall behind, and that's gonna display your business as well. You're in trouble, and this is no, never gonna recover. So that, that's also something to think about. Like I really think it's gonna be push, big push once everything reopens to bring a, uh, customers. So don't be left behind. And if you don't have it, that in you, maybe it's a good idea to start contemplating exiting now, yeah. today. You know, planning and, and and working with someone. Of course, I'm gonna say that because. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 the, and the other thing, though, it's in my nature. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Zoran would agree with this: is that time is the best conditioner of a vendor. Yeah. And and the longer the business is on the market, the more the vendor will start to realise that's probably priced at what is the reason why it hasn't sold. Yeah. And it starts to come down, and now he's, they've all taken a hit, or a lot of them have taken a hit now, and they've got to then think, well. I keep pushing on. We're not going to get back to the levels we were at Christmas time. It's going to take two, three years. Have I got the stamina to keep doing that? Um, mm. I, I, I agree with you guys that I think there will be a lot of opportunities come on the market in the latter half of this year. Paul, Paul would you pay more for the business that actually didn't take a hit during this uh, crisis? No, not when you say pay more. Would I pay more than, than say, Christmas time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that means the business is pretty resilient, but it depends what se sector it's in. 
Mm. You know, because some sectors haven't been affected. You know, you only have to go to Bunnings, for instance, and you queue up for about 100 metres in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> to because of social um, <laughs> <laughs> Or go to Dan, Dan Murphy's. You can't get in there with everyone <laughs> buying the grog. But not every business falls into that bracket. But the ones that, that have been able to withstand this probably tells you that they're a pretty resilient, strong business in good sectors. And whether you pay more, you may not pay any less, but it's going to hold its value. I think there is a case for those sellers with the strong businesses to demand premium. Like, I mean, it's not going to triple the price of their business, but some sort of premium. And the reason for that, like Paul is on the buyer side and they're expecting a lot of distressed businesses to go on the market and a lot of people, I think you use the word, a lot of businesses took a hit. And if that's so, then there's going to be less good businesses on the market. So in order to get into the good business, you may going to have to pay pay a little premium. And what I'm talking good business is somebody who didn't get a fair. So this was a really good test for a lot of businesses. How good? Uh, good point. Mm, yeah. Love it. Well, we, we're really digging into some um, some insights here, I think, that um, hopefully our listeners will fa- have found as interesting as I have. So guys, any parting word in our wrap-up now? Um, and, and of course, how our listeners get in contact with you if they're, um, if, if they're interested. I'm, I'm glad I'm in Melbourne and I'm not within reach of Zoran after see, seeing the way he dealt with that other thing that came into the room. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, look, businessbuying.com.au is my business and I, and I just think the really important thing, whether it's us or anybody else, we've got Phil up in Sydney and myself here, but whether it's us, to get proper advice when you're making an acquisition these days is probably more relevant and important than ever because there are so many unknowns that have come on into the market now in relation to values, returns, stockholdings, certainty of, of income that just needs to be taken into account. It doesn't shouldn't put anyone off buying their business. It just needs to be factored in. And so uh, there's nothing against whatever Zoran's putting up. It just needs to have these sort of fence around, around it to give some certainty that what anyone is selling, they are actually selling. Great. Okay. And how about you, Zoran? Well, from my point of view, look, I was going to say something when Paul said, like, the the time is the best conditioning factor for vendors. I do agree with that. And I also would like to add something else. Most of the businesses that I've seen over the last 15, 20 years that sell below the market value is because they start negotiation too high. They yeah. go on the market, they price themselves of the market. So if yeah. you're thinking to sell a business today, take a really serious advice. Take not one valuation, take a several valuations, take to as many consultants as you can. Look at the comparable sales. Don't believe anybody. If it's too good to be true, maybe it's not true, all right? Uh, mm-hmm. Get a comparable sales, see what the businesses are selling, price the business well, and you're going to sell it very quickly. I don't care what time and when. And if you need the help, I know just a guy that can help you. With it. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> you can just Google Zoran, the business broker. I'll pop up everywhere. There can't be two oh. Zorans in this world. No, way they sell businesses. So, so I'm, I'm more than happy to help anybody have a quick conversation, long conversation, whatever they need. Brilliant. Okay. Look, I loved it, guys. Um, this was a fabulous panel. Thank you so much for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. And maybe we'll have you back in six months' time as we have a recap of we, we tried a bit of crystal ball gazing. Let's um, let's test yeah. ourselves in six months. How, how did we go and what's happening then? Let's do it. I'm up for it. Thanks, Joanna, for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Joanna. Wonderful. Thanks, guys. 
Well, that's it for this episode where we had our panel session with Zoran from Exclusive Business Sales and Paul from Business Buying Services. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. There you will also find details of how to contact Zoran at exclusive business sales and Paul at business buying services. And there you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider heading over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Make sure you hit subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Well, look, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and The Deal Room podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.